Yeah, so that's that's where it's all different, right? There are a lot of people who knock on people's doors, and I mean, their concept is maybe the house is a bit run down. Are you a real estate investor looking to sharpen your skills, or a newbie looking to become one? You're in the right place. Welcome to Where Should I Invest? Real Estate Investing in Canada with your host, Sarah Larvey. Welcome back. It is Sarah Larby and thanks for tuning in. Today's guest is Matthew Frederick, who you guys have met likely in a prior episode or two. He's uh, been a returning guest. Matthew has over, I want to say 30 years of experience, 35 years. Anyways, he's been around for a really long time and he is very well versed in commercial, multifamily, a lot of the bigger stuff as, uh, as you may know from my previous podcasts. But today we actually talk about finding off-market properties, how to create some habits to do that. We talk about focusing on those 12 to 18 units, properties, plazas, mixed use, time management for success, and so much more. And uh, there's lots of great tips, lots of great insights. I hope you guys enjoy the podcast. And if you haven't yet, please leave a rating and review. And don't forget to reach out to Matthew at rccsol.com. Enjoy the show. Matt, welcome back to the show. How are you? I'm fantastic. How are you, Sarah? Good, good. I feel like you've been on this show four or five times now, and we're going to talk about something specific today. But can you give us a little bit of background on what it is that you do from a real estate investing standpoint, you know, what your portfolio consists of today, and then we'll go into the topic of discussion. So my focus uh, lately over the last uh, four or five years has been more commercial. I started like everybody else with the residential. Uh, you're an expert in Burr. I started in that area as well a long time ago, but from 2007 to now, I've been doing a lot more commercial. So portfolio, a series of 64 unit buildings, 34 unit buildings, and smaller buildings as well. Uh, I found that 12 to 18 buildings like multifamily or even strip plaza mixed use is a nice sweet spot to, let's say, big for the small guy and too small for the big guy. And most of my properties, I would say, are most likely joint ventures. So sure, you know, I own a bunch of them myself, but in order to get into a larger spectrum of larger properties, I had to go out there and talk to people who had money, but not knowledge, no time. I had the time, I was able to uh, partner with them. So I spent a lot of my time doing that. And then recently I'm actually building in Belize. I'm building my, my first house since 2007, and I'll probably build six more before the end of the year. So I'm keeping busy in Canada and Belize. Of course, I haven't gone down there to see my stuff, but I have a family person who's down there and uh, he's enjoying it. So what's, what's the ultimate goal with real estate investing? Like, are you planning on doing it for another 10 years? Are you looking to, you know, slowly stop and, and go down to Belize and focus on that? Like, do you have a plan on, on that? Well, yesterday I turned, or actually this weekend I turned 56. And my goal was to retire around 50, and technically I did, but I find retiring a little bit boring. And uh, my, my game plan is, I mean, I have a younger daughter, she's 13. When she gets to 18, I think I'll probably head off to Belize, probably spend the rest of my life there. Although I love Canada, it's an amazing country, but I like building probably six houses a year down there while I get a chance to, you know, relax in that nice environment, which is uh, really important to me. So. Uh, for the next couple of years, I'll, I'll do some more coaching. I'll still buy some more multifamilies. I'll begin to sell off some of what I have and uh, you know, help as many people as I can before, let's say, I, 
I jump ship. All right. Sounds like a good plan. So I would just say if you are interested and you're listening to this and you want to know about how Matt got to where he got today, you know, go back to some of the prior podcasts that we did together. Today, we really wanted to focus on finding off-market deals. I mean, right now we're in a, a seller's market, but things will turn. And Matt has a lot of experience with finding these off-market deals and not relying on the MLS. So um, that is going to be our, our conversation today. And then before we get into that, just a little bit of background, Matt, on, on what you've acquired in terms of off-market opportunities, maybe in the past five years with joint ventures, you know, versus what's on the MLS. Like, are you able to share like a percentage or a ratio of, of off-market versus on-market? Well, in the last, let's say, seven years for myself, it's been 100% off-market. You know, I respect realtors, I respect the MLS, but I find that all the competition has always worked against me. I like the fact that I talk to people who are not even thinking of selling their property, and if they're not thinking of selling it, and I present the thought to them that I have the time to negotiate with them, I don't have the competition. At the same time, I can get the clauses that I want in there. So I'd say 100% of the properties that I've done over the last seven years have been pretty much off-market. Properties I've found and I talked to the owners and moved them towards that position of actually selling. All right. Awesome. So there's lots of people right now. I mean, it, we're in a market where, you know, in, in January at the time that we're film or recording this, it's a seller's market. Everybody's putting something on market and holding offers. And then there's 10, 20, 30 offers, a market that, you know, many of us haven't seen since we've started real estate investing in the, in the first place where there's such a low supply and, and still a lot of demand. And, you know, you've obviously been investing for, I don't know if it's 30 or 35 plus years, quite a long time to see the different market cycles. But in a market like this today, you know, what are some of the things that we could be doing, the listeners could be doing to try to find some of these off-market opportunities? Well, Sarah, it's not 35 years. It's less than that, 30. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thank you very much. <laughs> but, uh, well, bottom line is you have to have a system and you have to have a behavior. And when I say behavior, a lot of people say, okay, you know what, I'm going to spend an hour on Saturday, I'm going to spend maybe two hours on Sunday, maybe a Monday or Tuesday going out there and looking for property. And I mean, that's great too. Finding property off market is very, very hard. That's why people would, would rather use a realtor, maybe a wholesaler, or even uh, you know, uh, go to groups where people actually present properties to them. But what I've done in my life, let's say that I have a meeting at 11 o'clock and I have to leave at 10 o'clock to get there for 11. What I do is I build 30 minutes extra time into my travel. So I'll leave at 9.30. Now, why do I leave at 9.30? Because I found that in going from point A to point B, not even looking for real estate, that's when I see great opportunities. But if you're always running late, running behind, you can't stop and you can't actually act upon it. So as I'm driving, I'm actively looking for interesting things whether it's, a, I don't do houses per se, but in the past I did. And it worked great for houses, but it works great for buildings too. But if you see a property that looks distressed in any way, shape or form, and sometimes the property was not distressed, but I saw an owner, and you can tell an owner outside of a property, it might be doing some work on the property. Because I really, I've learned to just left wheel, which means pull into the driveway, or what right wheel, pull into the driveway, and stop, get out of my car, walk up to them or walk up to the door, knock on that door and have a conversation with the owner right there and then. Now that's pretty bold. It's pretty hard to do sometimes, but I found that for me, it's natural 
because I've done it so much. And if I knock on the door and there's no answer, I have a little a door knocker, a little, I keep it in my car. It's a little small, uh, uh, what do they call it? It's a, a, a door hanger where I can leave my number on the under door or I have a letter I can always put in the mailbox. But again, it's a behavior. If I see anything, I don't say I'll come back. I don't say maybe there is something, maybe there isn't. I stop, pull aside, knock on the door, talk to the owner, say specific things to them, and that gets me results as opposed to any other method. And if you don't get them, then you have a mailer. And how do you follow up with them if you just left the mailer? Like, do you have a way to contact them or do you wait for them to contact you? Yeah, so basically, if I don't contact them and I leave something on the door, I'll go back to my car and I'll jot down the address. I'll make a note of the date, the time, the address, what I left on their door step or on their door uh, knob. I also have a few envelopes in my car with letters in them. And those letters are just general letters just saying who I am and what I'd like to do. And again, it's just a behavior. Now, my daughter, she's 13 years old. And now she sits in the front seat with me, uh, in the passenger seat. And her job while I'm driving now is to look at property. And uh, it was that way when she was younger. But now what we'll do is I'll say, okay, come on, let's get out of the car. She hates doing it, but I'll walk up to the door with her, knock on the door. Because, you know, there is that anxiety or that fear of what's going to happen when you knock on somebody's door. And she's seen me talk to lots of people out of the blue, creating conversations out of nothing, and they become conversations. So for her, it's natural now to do that. So not only do I do it for myself, I mean, I'm teaching my daughter how to do this as well. And that's how we find great deals. So I'll leave an envelope or I'll leave something on their door. If we don't contact, uh, yes, I'll, I'll write it down. I'll go back and check it out maybe two weeks later. If I'm driving by there again, that's what I'll do. See, it's very basic, isn't it? Very simple. So you go, back, think, you go back in person then. You don't, you don't get a realtor to, to pull it on Geo Warehouse to try to find out their names or, or anything like that. Like you'll physically go back and try to knock again? Yeah, because I mean, obviously I have access to realtors who can use Geo Warehouse. Obviously, organizations can use Purview. I can go to land titles and pull title on the property and see exactly who owns it. But in the end, for me to say, hey, John Smith, if I'm local, or just me knocking the door saying, hey, I like your property. My name is Matthew Frederick, and I want to buy it. I find, uh, whether I'm a stranger or not, I, I think it works uh, just as well. But yes, I could use those methods to send them a letter through the mail. I find when you do that, you don't get as much response, though. But that can work and does work. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. Hey, I just want to take a moment and interrupt the podcast to introduce you to my mortgage broker, Dahlia Barsoom, and her team at Streetwise Mortgages. Because everything around us is changing, the world as we know it is not going to be the same. COVID-19, the economic crisis is a time of uncertainty for many of us. And the lending and real estate landscape, they're changing quite rapidly day by day. Today's financing and investment decisions are going to be different than the ones that we made yesterday. Dahlia and her team are going to be able to help us maneuver through all of this. They're property investors themselves, so they've worked with thousands of real estate investors across Ontario, and they have their pulse and their finger on what's happening around us in real time from a real estate financing and investments point of view. Her team of advisors are committed to helping us keep informed and get that up-to-date information. And they're also going to be able to help us navigate through this crisis to also mitigate and minimize any financial distress during this whole transition, and also 
also help us emerge out of this in a strong financial position so that we can leverage ourselves for some great opportunities that are going to be coming to us. They've been able to help many investors in times like this by really planning out your plan for the good, but also for the bad, because these circumstances that are happening are going to be very individual for all of us. And they're going to help navigate three key parts, financial stability, financial agility, and opportunity, and help you manage through those three things. When it comes to stability, how can you enhance your reserves and your liquidity to weather the storm? You're going to have a different plan, so it's important to get that individualized plan. How can you utilize mortgage payment deferrals? Should you? Should you not? Why or why not? Any debt restructuring opportunities, those are all things that Dahlia and her team can help you work with. Now, when it comes to financial agility, there's some things that you might want to talk about are how do you make some improvements to your monthly budget so that you can increase your cash flow? Are there any financing tools that you can use to cover some short-term cash flow deficits? When it comes to opportunity, there's going to be some great opportunity that's going to come out of this. How can you set yourself up? for success. So her and her team are going to be able to help you maneuver through these things and create a plan, not only for the good times, but also in times like this, so that you can handle the storm and come out ahead. Feel free to reach out to Dahlia and her team at info at streetwisemortgages.com or go to her website, streetwisemortgages.com. And now back to the show. Right. I mean, seems like there's more wholesalers these days than even four or five years ago that everyone's starting to, to send out the letters. And, and some, some of them are very successful and, and do well as well. Sounds like you've got a, a bit of a different, uh, different thing. Now, you said that you say sp- like specific things when you talk to the owners. Can you share some of the specifics that you have uh, if they open the door and you basically tell them that uh, you want to buy their house? How does that go? Yeah, so that's, that's where it's all different, right? Uh, there are a lot of people who knock on people's doors. And I mean, their, their concept is maybe the house is a bit run down. So in a sense, in a roundabout way, they're saying, I notice your house, maybe not these words, but this is the, the theme that lands in the person's mind. They're saying, you know what? Your house is not in the best condition. It's a bit run down. Maybe it's time for you to perhaps sell and I'm here to buy it. So that's like really telling somebody, hey, you have an ugly shirt and can I buy that shirt? Again, they don't use those words, but that's what lands. On the other side, for me, when I knock on someone's door and talk to them, I'm like, listen, I'm in the area. I just saw your property. It's different, and it's a property I want to buy. No, sorry. I say, it's different. I like it. And then I pause. And then they say, okay, how can I help you? And then I say, I want to buy it. And by saying I want to buy it, it stuns them. Now, there's only two responses I'm going to get. Either, okay, what do you want to pay for it? Or it's not for sale. Now, let's say they say to me, it's not for sale. Let's go that route. Sure. I'll go, okay, well, you know what? I mean, again, I liked it. Before I, get, before I leave, is there any other properties that you might own? Or do you know anybody else in your family or friends or on the street that might have a property that might go for sale? So one out of 20 times, that's going to happen, uh, that somebody might say, okay, well, I do know somebody. Now, obviously, my, my presentation, when I talk to people, I'm not looking scary. I'm not looking uh, sketchy. I'm standing far enough away from them. Even in COVID times, you can wear a mask. And you have a pleasant disposition when you speak to somebody. So I'll say, okay, just before I leave, uh, is there another property that you might have that you might consider selling? Or maybe there's somebody that you know that might want to sell. 
if they say no to me, I'll go, okay, well, again, thanks again. You know, I'm like one of those guys on television. That's what I tell them. I'm like one of those, I don't, I don't tell them I'm on TV. I say, I'm like one of those guys on TV that you see who renovates property. Like, have you seen those shows? And they might say no, but if they say yes, I'll go, is that something that you look at? They might say, well, yeah, I'll be watch those. Is that something that you would like to talk more about? Because, I'll, you know, initially I like to buy your property and fix the basement up, maybe do an income type of property. Is that something that you might have an interest in? Now, they may have an interest in saying, well, I would like to do that, but I don't want to sell my house. In that case, I'll say, well, it's an area that I'm, ex I'm an expert in and I can have a good team. So if you want, maybe we can work something out. We can meet for a coffee again. Work something out where I get to understand what you want to do to your property. You can bore against your property. I know how to do that. I, I can structure a, a basement suite system for you. And if you want to have that discussion, we can do that. Now, if they say, well, no, I'm not interested in that, I'll say, okay, I get it. But you do seem to be interested in the, the buy, fix, sell, or the buy, fix, or the home improvement scenario. And if they say, yeah, yeah, I am interested in that, I go tell you what, as in this case here, as I'm talking to you, I come across a lot of homeowners and there are other properties that I do have access to. If you want to have a conversation about maybe coming and watching me do one, maybe even, now I don't get into the, all the details about, I want you to bore against your house and give me the money and I'm going to go and do it. But it's more of a conversation to say, hey, if, I had, if you have an interest in that area, to watch a real one done, I mean, forget TV now. Like, there's a lot of things on television that are not really true. If you want to experience the real thing, is that worth a conversation? And if they say yes, then from that conversation, I have a whole system which causes them to want to be my partner. So let's say I knocked on 20 doors. Let's say that one person says, give me a price. And 19 say, not interested. If I can turn that 19 to have one more person say, I do know somebody or I have a house elsewhere. And maybe I have two or three people say, you know what? I'm interested in doing something to my basement. And maybe, maybe one or two say, I'm interested in getting into that to begin with. Well, instead of just a no, and then I put my head down, walk back to the car like a loser, I already have about five options there with most people. And I find that turn those into different options. I find that every time I knock on a door, I'm getting a result. And it's not 30 or 50 to one. I heard somebody say a couple of weeks ago, you knock on a thousand doors to get one result. Nonsense. You do it right, you knock on 30 doors, you'll get about seven results. One potential sale, and the rest of it is going to be things that you can, can spring out. Is that right. sort of you put it in your pipeline and you, and you cultivate the other six as right. uh, you're working on the first one. I mean, it is interesting, like as you were talking about the story with the person, maybe they don't want to move or, or they're not interested in bringing you into their current property, but they might be interested in JVing or partnering with you on another property that they could bring the money and the financing for. I mean, I guess there's pros and cons to that, right? Because, you know, you, you do want to vet your JV partner and you don't want them to be, you know, the wrong partners as well. But depending on who you do speak to and, and whatnot, like it could actually be a quite an interesting option for somebody even just starting out that doesn't have any financing ability or income, but might have a little bit of experience with construction and, and you know, doing those types of things to find some JV partners. And the important thing is, if you don't know construction, you know somebody who does. So what you do is you refer that job to, let's say, some, somebody named Kevin or Ken. Maybe someone named Ken knows how to do that. 
you refer the job to Ken, you get a referral fee. That's important. So again, it doesn't mean you have to be able to know how to do everything. It's just not leaving somebody on the table. But a lot of people really are afraid of actually walking up to that door and knocking on it. And what I'm going to do, I'm going to share a little secret with you. I've never told anybody else. You want to hear a secret? Sure, go for it. Okay. My favorite show back in 1973 was a show called Shaft. And uh, it was Richard Roundtree. He was the actor. And uh, he played a detective. He was a black guy with an afro. But when Shaft walked, he had theme music. He had a theme song that always played in the background when he was walking on, in, in the show. So sometimes, like, I have my own theme music. I actually have uh, 15 seconds of a song, the start of a song, that when I pull up to a house and I really don't want to go and knock on that door, I play my, my music. <laughs> and what happens is it gets me in the mood. So when I'm walking to the house, I'm walking pretty fly. So I have that theme music to motivate me. Sometimes when I knock on the door and the person answers, I might let them hear about maybe three seconds of my theme song because nobody has a theme song. And just that alone helps me to get into the right mood, the right cadence to be able to make that phone call. Now, I know it sounds silly. Remember, the richest and wealthiest people do things that we think are silly because it's out of the box. And out of the box stuff works. That's important. Do you have a theme song? I don't have a theme song, oh, no. Gosh. <laughs> oh my so goodness. So back to, you know, back to going and, and you know, now you've got your theme song and, and you're knocking on the door and they said, yeah, you know, I'm interested in selling. Like for somebody that's never done a deal privately, walk us through the process of, uh, of you know, closing on something off market. Okay. So right away, they're going to say to you, what's your price? What's your offer? You never want to give a price. You never want to give an offer because you want it to be deliberate. You want it to seem as though you went back and you thought about it, you put it into a system that you respected their property by thinking about it. So that's, that's important. The other concept is you don't cross a bridge from both sides. I mean, if in the military, you take a bridge from both sides, but you don't cross a bridge from both sides. You have to start on one side, move to the middle, and move to, to the other end. So in a negotiation, where you start off with, it's not gonna be where you are in the middle, or in the end. So ultimately, when I speak to people on the on on you know door to door, I tell them I like your property, I like it a lot. There's a lot that I can do with it. They ask me for the price. I say, well, at this time I don't really have that. What I want to do is go back and, and actually do a few things. But I do tell them that I will base the price on what you've done to the property, because I want to respect them. You know what you've done to the property, some of the things you've fixed up. I'll base the price on uh, what's going on in the area. And maybe I'll do a little bit of math like the banks do. But before we get into that, let me ask you a quick question just before I head off. And again, we'll exchange cards. Um, why did you buy this house to begin with? What was it about this neighborhood that attracted you? And what they're going to tell me is maybe 10, 15, 20, 30 years ago, maybe they came here because it's close to the kids' school. Maybe they liked the, the recreation. Maybe it was close to relatives. They're going to tell you something that was effective or important maybe 10 or 15 years ago. And then I said to them, well, is that the same today? Because a lot of people don't realize that where they're living was effective many, many years ago and no longer matching today. Here's a side note before I finish this little section. I do find houses that were built in 1980 to 1990. I spent a lot of time there because those folks who bought the houses in 1980 
they're in retirement age now. If you go to a neighborhood with houses that are built in 1980, the schools, the primary schools, don't have portables. Now, why is that? Because most of the kids have grown up and actually gone to college and moved away. And in some young neighborhoods, you'll see that the schools, even brand new ones, have 10 portables. So I'm talking already to people who had a purpose for being in that area, and now they're probably not using that purpose anymore. And then when they tell me why they bought the property in the first place, I'm going to say to them, how is that working for you now? Of course, in a nice way to make them realize that there might be something a little bit different, a little bit better. So before I start focusing on, I want to buy your property, I'm focusing on, hey, how do I get you to the next level? How do I get you to where you need to be? And if I have to put you on to a special realtor, or maybe I have some properties elsewhere, or maybe I have some associates who are able to find wholesale deals, if I can understand what you need, I don't want to act as a realtor because I'm not a licensed realtor, but I'm just going to figure out what they need. If I can help you to find that, once somebody knows and sees where they can go, what they have right now becomes almost irrelevant. And then I continue the conversation from there. So it's, I meet them, I love your house, up. I want to buy it, smash. Oh, okay, what's your price? Can't tell you the price right now because I really don't know what you've done to it. I want to respect you, I want to respect that. But I do a number of things, one, two, three, four. My, by the way, can I ask you a question? Why did you come to this neighborhood to begin with? Understand what their needs are and if their needs have changed. Sometimes there are too many trucks now in the neighborhood. Sometimes the, the neighbors aren't really friendly anymore. Could be a lot of things. And when I understand that, then I say, okay, let's deal with uh, the, middle, the middle of the bridge now. Where do you want to go? And then we'll deal with the end of the bridge because remember we're crossing a bridge. Once we find somewhere for them to go, now let's talk about the price. Whereas the other person, the wholesaler, is more about, I need money. I'm young. I'm broke. I want to get this house to sell. So they focus on the sale of the house. That's not really the way that you really want to do it. That works for them. It does not work for everybody. You want to focus on helping that person move to the next area. And then all of a sudden, now they're grateful. That house becomes a house for me. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. Hey guys, I just want to take a quick moment here and pause the podcast to introduce you to one of my favorite contractors, John from Blackjack Contracting Inc. And he has been serving the Niagara, Hamilton and Brantford areas for the past three years and has become the area's legal basement suite renovation specialist. He works with many investors that I know and some newer investors, some more experienced investors, and he converts single family homes into multiple units, as well as my favorite strategy, the Burr strategy. So he's well-versed in those as well to make sure that we can achieve the maximum value of the property and the maximum ARV. He has also completed over 100 units from Brantford to Niagara Falls, and everywhere in between as well. They do everything from permitting to the design to the final cleaning before listing our rentals for rent or for sale. And he's also a fully licensed electrical contractor. He's certified with ESA and he will take jobs of all sizes. So no job is too big. He's done in complete guts really from the ground up. So super impressed with his work and what he's been doing for fellow investors that I know as well. So if you wanted to reach out, his website is Black Jack 
at contractinginc.ca and you can ask him whatever questions you have. You can also reach out to him Instagram, which is at Blackjack Contracting Inc. And like he says, he knows that investing feels like the biggest gamble of our lives. So when you have Blackjack on your side, the house always wins. I will also add that there is currently a ban as of April 4th on new permits. So he will still actively work to the law's extent and actively work with investors to get projects planned out for when the ban is lifted. So that way you're not necessarily waiting and waiting and waiting. So guys, 100%, I recommend Blackjack Contracting. I will say that finding the right contractor is sometimes a hassle and getting a good one that works with investors that understands the numbers is going to be critical in our success, especially when doing the burst strategy. And now back to the show. Right. So, I mean, and just to go back to the wholesalers, I mean, you know, not all of them are, are, are young hustlers, but yeah. you know, and I know you, hold, you <laughs> so, so I do have a question because you're going to go back with the price. Okay. You're, you know, you're going to, I'm guessing it, this is in person that you're going to talk about the price. What if they're like, yep, there's no way I'm selling it for that price. I know based on the market and that's at least worth 300 grand more, you know, and they want retail or they want market price. Like, how do you handle that? So here's the good news. This property was not for sale. And when I spoke to them, now it's becoming for sale. And now they've already bitten the apple and or they've already seen the result of perhaps getting some money and they begin to mentally plan for the spending of that money. So even if we don't come to the right agreement, let's say I'm looking at uh, 500,000 and they're at 650,000, that's $150,000 off. I might put the offer in and I would say, obviously I need some time to get financing. Now, I'm not in competition here. So therefore, I don't have to put an offer in with zero clauses. At the same time, I can ask for you know, two weeks because they were not in any rush to sell. And in the matter of two weeks, I can then do my inspection and perhaps there's certain problems that might arise to which I can say, hey, can we meet some middle ground here? I might also say, based on the situation, my financing is coming back, not at the price we talked about. Can we find some mid-ground between there? But as time goes on, what's really happening is that they're beginning to fall in love with the concept of selling. And therefore, we're moving them slowly towards bringing down the price. Now, if we're a difference of $100,000, let's say, so we were one fifty off, I tell them, well, you know what? There's no realtor here in this case. That's about 5% right there. That could be $30,000, $40,000. Number two, you don't have to fix the property up. Uh, which you would normally have to do before you actually sell it. You're not going to have to worry about that. What's most important to them is that the neighbors don't come to the house and start peeping at their house. Because as soon as they put it for, for sale, the neighbors want to come and check them out. And they don't like pe people coming into their houses, so we don't have to worry about that. And on top of it all, I do see some problems that we have to worry about once the offer is in and secured. When I have my due diligence time, then I find those problems. Hey, I can't finance the way I thought I would finance it. That brings down the price a bit. And at the same time, listen, you know what? If, if I have to meet my, my uh, amount, could we do some kind of a vendor take-back mortgage? And then they might say, okay, yeah, we'll hold some paper. We'll give you a VTB for some amount. And then I I'll turn around and come back and say, listen, you're giving me a VTB for 100K. Thank you very much. But if we can reduce it, the price by 50K more, I can give you back that VTB and not worry about it. Now, remember, they gave me a VTB. I didn't ask for it up front. I asked for it because I didn't get my price. 
-hmm. when they give me the VTB, 100, 200K, sounds pretty good. We're almost at the edge of the bridge. Then I come back and say, you know what? What if you get all your money? Why don't you just reduce the price 50K and you won't have to worry about the VTB? In other words, I had them give me something and I gave it back and got a reduction because of it. Are you seeing right. that? Yep. No, that, that makes sense. That's awesome. And VTB, I mean, you know, there's definitely newer investors and there's very experienced investors that listen to this vendor take back. And when you say hold the paper, it just means, you know, hold a portion of the mortgage so that, uh, you know, you can get financing from an institutional lender and, you know, them potentially as a second. So they could potentially be your down payments uh, or, or a portion of, which could be interesting. Now, I will say something else. Sometimes if I'm talking to somebody and they're saying, I really don't want to grow, I don't want to do any kind of renovations. I don't want to get in, involved in real estate investing. Like, like you said, like the guys on TV, I might say, okay, just before I leave and thank you for your time. Um, you know what? Your house is amazing. I'm sure you bought it a long time ago. There's probably tons of equity. Have you thought about using that equity to help out guys like me? You know, if you bore against your house, and guys like me, when we buy properties, we end up getting private money and we're able to use that private money to fix things up. It's secured against the property. If you want to have that discussion, why don't we have that discussion? So just going back to the beginning, if you're not going to sell, maybe you have another property or maybe you know somebody else, or maybe you want to renovate your basement. Maybe I can help, or maybe you can help me, you and I get a house somewhere else, or uh, maybe you, lo you loan money to people like me or maybe you can stay on my newsletter. Yeah, lots, lots of options, right? Even if they say no, that there's still, there's still some additional options. Now, I, I know you don't really buy residential at this point. Maybe you, you do it with some students, but you know, is, does, the, does it change when you're talking to an investor or you have a building or somebody that owns a plaza? Like, do you, do you have any differences in, in how you have those discussions? Well, for residential and for commercial, I pretty much do the same thing. I find it's a lot easier for multifamily and a lot easier for a commercial because I'm able to contact the owner a lot, a lot easier, right? And there's an investor mindset that they do have. When you have something much bigger, sometimes you have other financial concerns. Um, when you're dealing with uh, a regular average everyday person, you have to slow everything down. And although I went very quickly through that process, that might be a few conversations at, uh, at a Starbucks, right? Or a few conversations at a Tim Hortons and you have to make sure you invite, have them invite all significant people, someone that they trust to come on with you and have those conversations. So I find with, with houses, I just do it a bit slower. Uh, I, I make sure they bring other people along and I make sure I don't go as fast as I would with a commercial property. Because with the commercial properties, they can take a lot more than let's say a, a simple house owner. And I don't come across as though I'm sharp or brilliant um, in fact, I come across more almost like bumbling, almost like, oh, oh by the way, I, I do have this to say to you. And I go away and I, I come back. Just uh, not as sharp. I have to be sharper when I'm dealing with much larger buildings. It all depends on, on who I'm dealing with. Yeah, no, that's interesting for sure. Now, does it change depending on what type of market we're in? I mean, different market cycles, right now where there's no inventory or another option where, you know, it's a buyer's market? Like, do you have different tactics for that? You know, I, I found that everybody has a need in a situation. And I know that even in, in, in hot markets or slow markets, 
there are people waiting for someone just to give them a nudge. People are thinking of doing something. You know how many times I've actually knocked on a door and somebody said to me, you know what, uh, remember, I'm not just knocking on doors. I'm knocking on specific doors with situations that I see. People will say to me, wow, you know, I've been praying about this and here you are, you knocked on my door. Sometimes people just need someone to give them a push and they see that as a confirmation that maybe that's the right direction they should be going in. And sometimes I'm like, okay, whether we do business or not, I'd love to, because I'm in the industry, if you want to sit and talk to somebody, just bounce it off of, then give me a call. I'll talk to you about that. Because sometimes all they need is a little bit of a push. So I don't see up or down market. Um, I don't wait for markets. I've been doing this for 30 years. I don't have time to fool around in up or down market. Uh, I remember when I started, if I have to eat, I got to eat. And if I have bills to pay, I have bills to pay. So I couldn't give a damn about the market. For me, I'm bold. And fortune favors the bold. So I'll go out there and do what I have to do, make sure that people are being respected, make sure that all situations are win-win. I will never take advantage of somebody. Always when I do business, they may benefit in one way, I may benefit in another, but I don't really look at markets. Fortunately, I know 12 strategies. So technically, I have strategies that will work in every market, but most people don't, and you don't have to. If you know one strategy and maybe a secondary, that would be pretty good. But right now, people, like I think, um, I think it, we talked about uh, CMA, is it CMHC said that they're expecting a massive drop in the market. I mean, they're, they're saying that, but then there's others that are contradicting to, to what they're saying. And, you know, they also predicted a 2020, 18% drop at the beginning of, of when the pandemic started. So. Yeah. And, and, and for me, you know what, inventory is under one to three months, interest rates are low. People want to live in Canada. People still want to come into the country. Um, I don't see a reason why it's going to collapse like they say it is, right? But even if it did, it doesn't matter. Uh, yeah, I mean, I feel like most of us would be happy that we can find some stuff to buy at discount. Yeah. Well, and again, you can find a lot of discount as long as you're talking to people before they actually are thinking of selling. And that's where I get a lot of my discounts. Even last year, I think with my students, we looked at about 16 different buildings. Now, of the 16 buildings, we actually assigned wholesaled about eight or nine of them. But in all the cases, nobody that we approached was thinking of actually selling. And after approaching them, after talking to them, they decided let's have a conversation. And of the ones that we actually ended up doing business with, most of those deals were at a discount. There's a bunch of people that we spoke to who just wanted way too much for their property. And that's true. You can't do much about that. If I talk to five people who are thinking, yes, I will sell, Three of them will want way too much, and two will be what I consider reasonable for both parties. Awesome. Thanks, Thanks for your insight. I'm just curious, what, uh, what are you working on these days for your own personal stuff, uh, real estate related, obviously? So you know what? Um, because I've been investing for, again, a lot of years, and I've had my share of mistakes, and I've had my share of successes, um, for the last uh, six months, I've sat down and I've created uh, 90 videos. And these 90 videos are all different things when it comes to uh, investing in real estate. So how to find off-market deals, how to raise capital. And now I have these videos. Obviously, it's something that I can share with the world. It's not free. But at least instead of physically just taking in the information, 
I've sat down and put information out. So in a sense, it's like a hobby, but it's also like a business. And it gives me a chance to share some of the ups and downs that I've had, my missteps and my successes. So that's what I've been focusing on, like leaving something for people out there. And of course, I'm looking to build about six houses by the end of the year in Belize, uh, which is not a bad thing. And these houses are like triplexes because come 2022, people are going to be dying to go on vacation. Uh, 2022, 2023, and that would just be perfect. So that's what I've been working on, uh, documenting what I've learned for the masses and also um, investing in Belize. Planning, planning your exit into the warm weather. That's right. <laughs> awesome. So the next part of the podcast is the lightning round. So I'm going to ask you a series of five questions. You've probably answered them before, but I don't know if your answers have changed or not. Are you ready to play? Sure. This week's lightning round is brought to you by Complete Properties. If you need a great property manager to help you in the Niagara, Hamilton, and Burlington markets, reach out to Margaret Cameron at 905-920-7886. She can also be reached at Margaret at Complete pminc.com via email or the website completepropertiesinc.com. All right, question number one, what is your favorite real estate investing book? My favorite real estate investing book, I'd probably say Think and Grow Rich. And it's not real estate, it's just a process of how to think. And uh, I also like Sun Tzu, The Art of War. Not that I believe in war, but it's just strategizing. Because with so much information out there, you have to know how to use that information in a very strategic manner to get results. So Sun Tzu, the art of war, think and grow rich. All right. Question number two, and then this doesn't have to be real estate related, but if you do listen to podcasts or audio books, do you have one that you would recommend? Well, that's the funny thing. In the last six months, I've shut down all learning. I'm not learning. I'm not taking anything in. What I'm doing is putting everything out. So other than a few podcasts from the Right Club, your podcasts, uh, and a few other people that, uh, that I totally respect, I've stopped learning. People say, I can't stop learning. Well, yeah, sometimes you have to stop learning to allow what you've learned to come out again. And that's what I did. I just said, that's it. No books, no intake. Everything I've taken in, I want to let it simmer and come out with things that are different, unique, unheard of. And I find if I keep reading stuff, I keep repeating what I hear other people say, which is what everybody else says. So yeah, so my answer is no books, Zippo, zero. I'm just allowing myself to put everything out. All right. Question number three, aside from real estate investing and working on your, your stuff that you're, uh, you're delivering to everybody, what do you do for fun? Well, for fun, uh, well, these days you can't do a whole lot, but for fun, I, um, you know what, I've been teaching my daughter how to cook, and I enjoy that. And uh, I've been going, doing a lot of walks, which I've been enjoying that as well. Um, I can't wait for things to open up because I haven't been scuba diving in a while, so I'm definitely going to head down to Belize to scuba dive. I'm going to do some skydiving in uh, Quebec. I'm going to do some base jumping. That's when you dive off a cliff and you fall for a bit. And I'll probably do some whitewater rafting on the Ottawa River. So as soon as things open up, I want to try some of those things, some repelling, some rock climbing. Just things where I can actually touch the earth. Because here in Canada, for six months of the year, we're not really touching the earth. Uh, the, yeah. It's cold, right? Yeah, it's very cold. Awesome. Next question, question number four. If you lost all your money and your assets tomorrow, how would you start again? I would do wholesaling. Now, keep this in mind. 
every sport, like baseball, basketball, football, tennis, if you have a thumb, the, the sport works better. And what is a thumb when it comes to burr? What's a thumb when it comes to buy, fix, and sell? When it comes to rent to own? When it comes to multifamily? That thumb is pretty much knowing how to get properties off market. And the index finger is knowing how to raise capital. So all I have to do is if I never buy real estate again, just get off market deals and raise capital or just get off market deals. And there's so many people who are dying for off market deals, lock them down and assign them all day long. And when I assign a building for $2 million, the assignment fee could be around $150,000. So that's what I would probably do. Find off market deals and wholesale them. Of course, you would require a deposit to hold that down, but you can borrow that deposit. All right. And last question, if somebody has $50,000, how do they get started with that money? How would you recommend they spend that money? I think they should spend a portion of that money to uh, invest in themselves with somebody who's doing what they want to do. So if you know somebody who is great at rent to own, and that's what you want to do, you pay that rent to own person who's got the years of experience to teach you. If you know someone who's good at birth, like you, then they pay someone like you to teach them how to do birth. If you know somebody who's into multifamily, well, you pay that person to walk you through the process so that you don't make mistakes. And then you have to have some money left over in order to secure that property with a deposit. And then, of course, from that point, you want to then uh, get JV partners to come in to see if they can do the down payment to get you really started. But you have to invest money um, in yourself. Last story. Somebody called me about three weeks ago and said to me, you know what, you've been around for a long time. If you spend some time a year teaching me for free, then one year from now, I mean, once I'm successful, I will be your number one uh, cheerleader. So I'm saying to myself, well, hold on one sec. I already have the knowledge. I am successful. My time is not free. How is it that the guy who's broke is talking to the guy who's got money and convincing me to invest all my time up front. Let me take all the risk. So I told him, smarten up. <laughs> like, what's in it for me? Why don't I just spend some time with somebody 10 times smarter than me? Okay, so people have to get out of this nonsense where they're tiptoeing around trying to be successful. You find somebody great and you pay what it takes to do so. I've raised over $62 million. So if you paid me a million dollars to show you how to do that, it's worth it. Time you spent to, to, to amass the properties you have, how many years is that? How much time is that? Time has value. So people have to stop not, you know, you know, you know tinkering around. And if you want help, you find somebody who's true and is real, and then you hire them and you get to where you need to go. That's what I think people should do. All right. Awesome. Matt, can, where can the listeners reach out and find out more about you? Well, I have a website. It's, uh, it's six letters. So it's R, like in Romeo, CC, so Charlie Charlie, RCC, S like in Sierra, S-O-L dot com. So R-C-C-S-O-L dot com or R-C-C-S-O-L dot com slash videos. And uh, you can find me there and uh, we can talk. All right. Awesome. And I always ask this at the end, any final last words of advice? 2021, it's a great year. Last year was a tough year for a lot of people. I found it was the best year for doing real estate in all the years I've been doing real estate. So yeah, it was hard, but people had to make decisions. 
this year, a lot of people who were secure, doctors, dentists, pilots, and they are no longer as secure as they were. They need your help. They need to put their money into projects that you can spend your time in doing uh, more, more so today they need that. So focus on how to talk to high net worth people because there's a chink in their armor and they're seeing it. And 2021 made that so. Awesome. Thank you so much, Matt, for your insights, for being on the show again. It was a pleasure having you on. Okay. Well, thank you, Sarah. Hey guys, before you go, I wanted to ask you a question. What's stopping you from starting or growing your own real estate investment portfolio? I know for me, before I started, I had plenty of reasons and at the time they all seemed very valid, but as I started my journey, these reasons slowly fell away and eventually only one reason remained. What was actually stopping me was having a proven, actionable, repeatable system. I didn't have that. And the way that was going to change was by investing in myself, learning, listening, and looking for ways that work. And also, most importantly, discovering what didn't and not making those mistakes again. Fast forward to today, I now have a proven, repeatable series of action steps that has enabled me to build my seven-figure portfolio consisting of multiple homes, and I'm able to manage that in two to three hours a month. Is that something that you would want? Well, I've actually taken all the knowledge I've accumulated and put that into a comprehensive step-by-step online program. It's called Rise, and it's a program that will help you from where you are now to where you want to be faster and with less of the headaches that I had. So it consists of all the templates and the resources that I use, plus over 40 instructional videos that you get lifetime access to for just a small one-time investment. And, you know, my recommendation is to make the time now to invest in yourself and grow your portfolio to seven figures so that you can bring your retirement dreams closer. If you want some more information about Rise, just go to sarahlarby.com forward slash R-I-S-E to access more details and book your spot. Thanks so much for listening to Where Should I Invest with your host, Sarah Larby. Make sure to listen in next time. We'll catch you on the next episode of Where Should I Invest.